0: Uh, let's start by the misery question, which is kind of get it. It's going to get you to the core of what power really is. Hmm. I want you to think of a time where you waited instead of taking initiative, and you wish you had. But you look over the regrets of our lives and our careers, some situation where there was some action required, either in the office or the organization or in family. And you waited and you kind of like went over some line, and then by the time you took action, if you ever did, it was too late. I want to kind of start to pinpoint the issue of waiting, because waiting is kind of anti-power. Just a few examples. Might have been a deal, might have been a relationship, might have been a hard decision, but you waited. Didn't call the cops at a family blow-up. I didn't call the cops at a family blow-up. Things happen, there was bad fruit that shouldn't have happened. Good. Seems like every time I fire somebody, I don't do it quick enough. Yeah, that's always consistent. That's huge. Yeah. Like, then it happens, it's like, oh gosh, why do not we do this? Yeah. Like I went second mile, third mile, fourth mile, 18th mile, then I finally do it, and I think I should have pulled that trigger. A yep. long time ago. Great. That was mine. Same thing. The whole pruning of the employee. make that normative. Maybe you, a time you should have asked for something you didn't. Or maybe a time that you had a need that you ignored until too late. That's waiting. A house went for sale next to the church property and I thought we should buy it, but the council threw the Little statement we're not in the real estate business line at me which I think is absurd mm-hmm. and uh, shortly after that another church donated a house to a ministry in town that really needed it, it that it should have been our church doing that yeah. but i I didn't take the initiative to go after that nonsensical mm-hmm. thinking and let it ride you sort of like I regret it you allow somebody else's thinking to take over your own good judgment and there was a price to pay. Yep. Yeah. When I look at the issue of power for leadership, there's a statement that I always love, which is that I think that power decreases regret. I don't want to live a life of regret. I want to when it's time to go, I want to know that I've left something and the world's a better place for Christ at some level and People's lives are better and family and friends are better off. And when you look at the, the research on regret, basically what it says is that people regret much more at a very higher level what they did not do than what they did do. There are some regrets about you know people that did things they shouldn't have done, you know, they were impulsive or they spent too much money or they, I don't know, had a bad confrontation with somebody or whatever. But by and large, it's the things that we did not do that we regret more than the things we did do. And that's where the issue of power comes in. Is that our takeaway is that you guys come away with an understanding and some skills about not being afraid of your power and develop again and using it for really, really good ways to make the world a better place. great passage is in um, 2 Timothy 2, I I'm mean, sorry, 2 Timothy 1, where Paul's disciple timothy and he says the spirit that god gave us does not make us timid but gives us power and love and self-discipline and the idea there is that um, god's always transferring his character abilities to us he doesn't transfer the omni stuff we can't be omniscient um, omnipresent and um, omnipotent but the other stuff we do get we get his love and his discipline and we get his power it's a good thing for us so um First off, I want to talk with about the definition of it. It's basically, the capacity to change the environment. When you look at leadership, you always hear about this person, the change agent, we want our church to be a change agent, we want our organization to be a change agent. And the idea is that you really only got two ways to go through life. Either the environment can impose itself on you, or you can impose yourself on the environment. People without power are always reactive. They're trying to solve crises, they're putting out fires, they're, you know, when you go have dinner with them, they're always talking about those bad guys out there who are, you know, controlling me or not fair to me or whatever. But people who are change agents are aggressive. They're moving out and saying, I'm going to impose me. Not in a mean way, not in a controlling way. I'm going to impose my values. I'm going to impose my will. I'm going to impose uh, my needs and my interest on the environment. When you look at Genesis 1, where God's setting all the created order up, he says to subdue and rule. Right? That's the big task for us. And you look at the word subdue. In the Hebrew, it means to bring order to chaos. That God said to Adam and Eve, go impose yourself on your environment. Don't let your environment tell you what to do. You impose yourself on that place, and there's this chaos of this huge mass of, you know, I guess, gardens and orchards, and you start to put some lines in there and some limitations around there and some boundaries so that it bears fruit and people have a good life. And we have kind of a cultural shift on power now. Sometimes when a leader is imposing themselves and we say, well, they're being domination, they're a they're, they're control freak or they're dominating or they're being mean or they're not being compassionate. And you've got to watch out for that because there is a, in our culture, there's a zero-sum thinking that if you've got power and you've got love, you the more power you have, the less loving you are. Well, this person's a very powerful leader but they're not very connected or this person's a very loving person but they're not connected this is not the way the Bible teaches it and this is not the way the research goes it is not a zero-sum game it's a both-and game that we're supposed to be full of love and full of power and leaders have kind of been disempowered my experience with leaders though is that the more power they have the more loving they are They feel compassion for others. They don't mind saying, hey, i got to have a woodshed talk with you. Hey, I'm not happy with what's going on here. Hey, this is my initiative. I'm going to sell you on this. I'm going to message. I'm going to influence you. I'm going to tap dance. I'm going to change things around in my company. I am imposing my will on my company. They're some of the most loving people I've ever met. So I want you to kind of get out of your head that power means domination and mean and disconnected. It is not a zero-sum game. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever met a leader that had both? Just think about somebody that you know that was, you know, they didn't mind telling you what they wanted to happen, and they pushed ahead, and they imposed their will, but they're also just a really cool, nice, warm person. They had both attributes at the same time. Anybody come to mind that was a good model for that? The generally, group like this is a couple people that can go, yeah, I had a coach who, or a teacher who, or a pastor who, or a parent who, and it was it was good. They didn't mind getting in my face and saying we're going to go this way but at the same time warm loving compassionate. anybody want to give somebody props I think more of a public figure right now at least here in the city of Indianapolis would be Chuck Magana Chuck Magana the coach of the Colts clearly a a guy that has power over that team. Lots of power. But you look at the love that both was expressed for him when his leukemia as well as the love he shares for his team. Hmm. There's no mystery why they're successful. Yeah, yeah. That's a great example. They connect with him for lots of reasons. I, I thought of Bill Bright. Founder of Campus Crusade Christ. Just phenomenal visionary thinking about the global, the global scale of getting the gospel to everyone. But then just a very tender man, um, loved by faith, loved by faith, loved by faith was one of his key themes personally. He loved by faith and he also loved others. Yeah. Really famous for that. But at the same time, a guy that moved mountains. Um, yeah, we haven't seen a guy like you in many, many years. Okay, so as the introduction then, it's, it's the capacity to change the environment. Let me kind of break down why it's important. In your outline, first off, um, one of the big usages of power is for ca- casting vision. You know, as we know, if you've gone to anybody's website or your own website, there's always the vision statement, the mission statement, the core values the strategy. It's kind of like SOP now. But, um, if I had to kind of like choose one of those, I'd probably choose for vision in terms of the one that catalyzes people because vision is about emotion and it's about a future that doesn't exist yet, it's about birthing something. And power gives you the motivation to go put yourself out and message to people. Every leader, even if you don't have the gift of being a salesperson, every leader has got to be a salesperson. You can't really cast a vision if you're sort of sitting there at your laptop putting together strategy. It's just hard to do. And you might have heard me use this in other talk, but what we found out about leadership is that if you want to raise your people's uh, temperature five degrees. You got to set your hair on fire. You got to do it 10, 20 times greater. You got to dance on the tabletop, and make a fool out of yourself, and talk about it, and and put signs up on your, you know, all over the office and over the whole organization. Um, casting vision is creating emotion in people, and that takes power. Uh, you have to get out of your comfort zone, and you really have to, you have to really be a person that doesn't mind saying, I'm going to take up. A certain amount of my day and a certain amount of every conversation with the people that are important to me and say, here's where we want to go. That's a power statement. The second thing is movement. What I found out about the way organizations run, whether they're for-profits or non-profits or family-owned business or corporation or mom-and-pop or whatever, is that movement is king. What I mean by that is that you really have to be changing things all the time. We, you can call it disruptive technology, which I'm a big fan of, or you can talk about continuous improvement where you're changing the processes all the time, or you're talking about new ideas and initiatives, but one thing we know is an organization is grow or die. There's no such thing as an organization that says, we're kind of happy where we are right now. We want to stay at this level of impact, this level of numbers, this level of, of results. We're going to keep like this. I promise you it won't be like that. It's the law of entropy and the law of thermodynamics you're either going to be pushing ahead or you're going to be jumping down that's why you're always trying to come up with new products and new uh, customers and new clients and new ways of operating and that means movement now some of the movement's bad movement boneheaded mistakes or taking risks or you know throwing the dice and you know losing but m- my my conclusion is that movement is king that A bad movement is better than no movement. I would rather make a bad decision. I mean, not not catastrophic. I'd rather lose time or money or resource than nothing at all. And the reason for that, basically, is the law of physics. Anybody know the law of inertia? How many physics majors here? What's the law of inertia? The energy it takes... To move an object that is stationary, want to move this cup, versus to re can look at this? One? Versus if this cup's already moving, it's going this way, and I want to move it this way, which takes more energy? To to take this one and divert it this way, or to get this one from zero to one? Which takes more energy? Zero to this moment. takes more energy. And in organizations, as long as you're moving, as long as you've trained your people, we're disruptive. We're going to try new things. We're a little on the radical side. I think that's why I love what Vern does in his church, because he's always doing crazy videos that are sort of edgy. And, and Vern makes mistakes, and he'll go, oh, that was a bonehead idea. But it doesn't matter, because movement is king. It takes power to keep doing new initiatives. And so one of the things you have to do is you have to normalize your power. Mistakes are better than nothing. Okay? And thirdly, the influence zone. And this is kind of that cultural piece, which... You know it's going to kind of drive everything is that um, when you are exercising your power whether it's the power of a phone uh, a phone discussion or something vulnerable or just saying we're moving ahead or i want you to get excited about this whether you do it in terms of direct impact or modeling there's a million ways to do this you're training your people to feel that way too and this is kind of where you get at the difference between managing people and leading people Do anybody know the difference? I mean, there's a lot written about that, but I have a very simple way of understanding when you're... You've got to do both, but how do you know the difference between managing your people and leading your people? You manage things, you lead people. You manage things and you lead people. You manage groups, you manage systems, and you lead people. Another way to look at it is that when you manage, you set the pace for goals. Here's the goals let me resource you and let's get there and then every so often every couple days I will check with you on your goals how are you doing are you resourced that's managing that's a necessary thing leading is not setting the goals and keeping them leading is unleashing people leading is saying God, you got power in you you got dynamite in you that I want to lose how can we do this because you're so gifted you got so much energy leadership has to do with letting go and bringing out of people managing has to do with structure you have to be doing all them at the same time but what I found out is that a lot of people are pretty comfortable with managing because it's it's a little disengaged how's the goals how was your day are you resourced are you making your goals any struggles okay that's fine you got to have that but when you say you got something you that I'm noticing you have such passion for X, or, boy, I see you kind of come alive when you do this. And then you start to see the unleashing, and people say, kind of let me go. One of the people I think that's really good at that is Scott. Scott's always looking at people and saying, there's, there's kind of a deeper thing with you. Let's get it out there. And I've seen great things happen in the people he works with. So the influence zone is I've moved beyond not just managing people to sitting down and saying float your boat what are you good at what do you want to do and guess what else happens you micromanage less. I went through a real micromanaging stage in one of my businesses and almost killed me I'm just not a good micromanager but I felt like I had to keep the chickens going the right chickens with about chickens on the range. going the right range. way but when I began to work on the unleashing I didn't have to control them more because the influence zone took over and they took over themselves here's the question. Have you ever been led by somebody that unleashed you? That really unleashed you? That didn't just say, what's the goal? What's the, what's the yearly goal? What's the monthly goal? Did you meet your goal? But somebody that said, I want to find something in you and catalyze you. I've had two or three people in my life that have done that. I'm a better person for it. might think of somebody? That saw something else in you. A gift, an ability, a passion, a, a competence that wanted to draw it out. who believed in you, who looked beyond the goals. Yeah, I had, um, I've had, had a couple different bosses give me exposure and opportunities uh, to sit in meetings. I had no business sitting in just so that I would have exposure to it. And uh, slowly fed ways for me to participate in those. And um, help me realize that I could do that. They- they knew, probably on a selfish way, there's a guy with lots of potential. And if we start to unleash that by exposing him and getting him triggered by all this kind of new stuff, you new know, ways of thinking at a larger level, we'll do a lot better. And it was a win-win. And we've got to, we've got to be that kind of person, too. So where does it come from? Well, there's, when you look at human development, power comes from several processes. And these are in order. Um, in terms of like how that how we get it the first thing is safety um, what I mean by that is people who are powerful are relationally um, secure they've been connected if you go to first Peter 410 for example it says that we are the stewards of God's manifold grace that's why we're so big Scott and I are so big here at the idea that, You're going to feel insecure like you're not good enough until you begin to open up and move against the leadership disease of head down, isolating your stress, and let people in. That's how when you look at human development or child development, the most secure kids are the ones that have got a lot of love. The the kids that have got a lot of love and have got a lot of support and got a lot of warmth. They're the ones that jump off the, uh, the jungle gym. They're the ones that kind of like, you know, try the new thing because the power comes from relationship. So this is not about willpower. This is about willpower coming from relationship power. The second thing is the pushing against the external. Um, When when we grow, where's my eraser? I don't have any power right now. Right there, too. When we grow, I want to go into child development a little bit because this will explain why you see some people struggle to get their power and others don't. Um, God has a developmental path to make you a mature person who's highly competent. in this sort of thing. And it goes like this. It's like gravity in the solar system. You know, we've got these heavenly bodies that are circling around other heavenly bodies. Well, if the sun is in your family, that's mom. Mom is the sun. When you're born, you're born to this life support system called a mom. And she's everything. She's warmth, she's safety, she's nurturance, she's care, and all this. And the child, I'll say kid, gravitates around the sun. We are drawn to her. Now, this is a contained, connected position. We're all supposed to have a warm mother in our life that we kind of are founded with. But if we're to stay here forever, we never get our power. We never become um, confident. We never take risks. We never push against other people. We never disagree, because there's a second figure. Who's the second figure in the in our life? Dad. Dad. Dad, dad comes in, and dad is the w- the wedge. That's the wedge between mom and kid. Dad's supposed to come in and break up the party after about a year or so and say, hey, you know what, um, i got a scratchy beard and I'm kind of fun and I've got a low voice and uh, let's start wrestling. And sometimes moms don't like that. Sometimes moms are relieved when it happens, but sometimes they don't, sometimes they don't like it. And they go, well, no way, we're supposed to be like close and, and we're supposed to be connected. And dads would kind of say, well, no, we've had about a year of that and uh, it's time to rock and roll a little bit. And so the dad pushes pushes into that. That's where the leaving and leaving comes from. And the kid begins to gravitate towards the second grade object. Now, the kid's starting to feel powerful because he's having to say no to mom. He's having to say, you're not everything to be. Now, he's in the picture. And he's pushing away from that enmeshment, technically called symbiosis, with mom into there's another person out there and then it moves from dad to brothers and sisters and siblings and then it moves to school friends and teachers and coaches and finally you've got your own mate and your own kids and your own social system and church and all that good stuff. Now when you look at the difference between guys and gals this process is different. Mom if she has a little girl and I'm speaking to you guys as parents as well as yourself If mom has a little girl, the little girl is having to move from somebody very like her to a dad who is what? We're moving from like to somebody who's unlike her. He's got the low voice. He's got the scratchy beard. He's got a lot of testosterone. The little boy is moving from what? If the girl's moving from like to unlike, mom to dad, what's the little boy doing? Jason? The opposite. The opposite. Moving from someone unlike me to like me. So who is it easier (laughs) to push away? From mom with. Who has an easier time of it? The boy. The boy? The boy does. The boy does. It's just the way it is. That's why girls, women, females are stronger in the relational component. It's easier for them to attach. It's easier for them to get close. It's easier for them to to feel relationally connected. All the things that we're always pounding you guys about, it's easier for gals to do with a warm mom. But it's harder for them to be aggressive. It's harder for them to have power. Girls naturally have to work a bit more, not a lot more, but a bit more on their power. Guys have a little advantage in their power if they had a warm mom and an involved father. But it's harder for guys to connect. If you don't have this, a warm son, or if you don't have an involved dad, you're going to have power problems because the security's not here or the, the dad who comes and interrupts the process. Dads have to be disruptive. And if you had a dad that was sort of passive or didn't want to stand up against his wife in a nice way, or didn't want to be engaged, or sort of didn't feel comfortable with kids. Like that movie, um, one of the Indiana Jones movies when Sean Connery meets, uh, meets uh, Indiana, who's played by Harrison Ford, and they meet for the first time, and, 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 uh, and Harrison Ford's really angry at his father, his, his newfound father, and he says, you never talked to me until I was like 17. Connor said, well, you weren't interesting until then. See, that's not a good father. <laughs> you've got to come in and say, we're going we're gonna to disrupt things a bit. And a good mom goes, gosh, I love the symbiosis, I love the kumbaya, but, yeah, it's time for that. And, okay, I'm kind of like chopped liver now, and it works. But both factors have to be in here. So, if you don't have that or didn't have that, you've got to recreate that for yourself. I'm not talking to you as a parent now. I'm talking to you as a leader. You've got to be around warm, and that's why you've got to be vulnerable in TLP. You've got to open up and process, because you've got to get another sun in if you didn't have a warm setting. But you've also got to get the wages in your life. They can challenge you and push you and say, take me risk. And then the third thing is, well, I already talked about risk a bit, but normalizing your risk. And the point about risk is that... Um, Every leader has got to develop power by, I just call it the surge. There is kind of an adrenaline surge when you take a risk. Some, you know, Jim Collins calls about the BHAG, you know, the big, hairy, audacious goal, the scary one. It's when you think, I could never accomplish this. Have I got the time? Have I got the money? Have I got the people? Have I got the opportunity? But I've never met a leader who, didn't ha- who was successful who didn't experience the adrenaline surge. That's the risk part. Who can tell me in the last 12 months a kind of a big gulp risk that you had to take, whether it ended up good or not? It's kind of immaterial. I'm just talking about a talent and a habit to learn if you've got to experience this surge to be able to to take the risk. Who's done one? And you gulped and you did think something you've never done before or you put resources or time or had a conversation you've never done before. I don't really care about the outcome. But who's who's felt this surge? Mike. Saying no to GE. Said kind of scary, no to the but. 800-pound gorilla who kind of owns everything. And what did that feel like? A little scary, but uh, I knew it was the right thing. So it's the right thing. And even if it's the right thing, it still felt the fear at the same time. Good. That's a surge. Somebody else. When you did something new and you didn't know the outcome and you couldn't control it and it wasn't a safe bet, letting Chad Metzger go. We'd always had Metzgers do all of our auctions for 30 years. Letting them go. They were safe. They were predictable. You mm-hmm. knew them. And it was a big gulf. How did it feel? Oh, it was hard to do. I worried about it, stupid about it. Makes it stay up late at night. But at the same time, it's kind of like a lot of, when you talk to like serial entrepreneurs, they'll go, that's how I feel alive. I mean, sometimes I'm kind of sick. I mean, like, almost like crack cocaine. But the point is, when you're feeling that adrenaline surge, you've got to do that probably at like once a month. You've got to take some kind of risk. I don't care if it's a baby risk or a betting in the farm risk, but you've got to do something like that once a month or so just to stay alive and stay sharp. That's how you keep growing. Um, what are some of the obstacles to this? Well, our old friend fragilizing, which we talk about all the time, uh, this is when we... Um, We govern our power, we throttle our power back because I don't want to discourage people, I don't want to make people feel bad, I don't want to deflate their passion, I don't want to give them bad self-esteem. And remember, when you fragilize people, basically you regress people. I'm not talking about real fragility. People are really, really, really fragile when they might have to be admitted to a psych unit or they're going to hurt themselves or move off to another country because you were so mean to them. Sure, sure, that's just fat fragile. But remember, guys, there's a difference between someone who is fragile and reactive. Reactive person, it just has a tantrum. And they get upset, and they have a lot of emotions, and everybody's emotional. I mean, I'm emotional, but I'm not fragile. Make a difference. If somebody's tuning up, if you see them amping up, if you see their face get red, if you see them start to, you know, look look like they're really being, you know, upset by you, before you go, oh, my gosh, back off, think, maybe... They're just reactive, but they're actually inside. They're very resilient and very adaptive. Uh, got a good friend in another part of the country um, hmm. who he basically let his staff control him by reacting. They found out that he was very worried about about upsetting people. So all they had to do was, if he started to say something, they'd say, we've always done it this way. You're not being a good leader, you're discouraged because he'd back off and his company and started suffering. And I had to work with him hard, he had some Guess what? He has a family of origin issues. This is kind of amazing. <clears throat> he had to work through the family of origin issues. And so when people got upset, instead of saying, oh, I didn't mean to bug you. He had like his marketing person got upset when he, <clears throat> he wanted to confront some new thing. And his marketing person got upset. And of backing off, he goes, why did that upset you? Well, because you know, obviously you're not understanding. And, and, and then he got into a dialogue. and said, I, I think it's not because I don't understand your position. I think it's because I disagree. Found out that the marketing person was equating, if you if you disagree with me, you must not understand me. Right. I know people like that. <laughs> <laughs> they define whether you understand their position by if you agree with their position. And he had to get in that person's face and say, "Let me try again. I'm going to paraphrase back to you what you told me in the three things about the marketing strategy." And the guy went, "Okay, you got it." And he looked at him and said, "Do I understand? Yes. I disagree." And he forced it. The guy got really mad and upset. And then everything calmed down. And they went to lunch. That I mean, that that was a good ending of the story. The guy didn't quit or anything. But you've got to watch fragilizing because you will throttle back your power when you're afraid of hurting other people. You we're supposed to be kind, we're supposed to be loving. But watch out for fragilizing. The second thing is when love and power are unintegrated. You find a lot of times um, that people have the 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 great ignore and zap problem. Anybody tell me what ignore and zap is? I might have used it. I don't think I used it in the last few months. anybody heard me use this? It's when somebody is driving you crazy. They're resistant to what you want to do, or they're cutting you out of things, or they're not responding. And you're kind of you want to be a nice guy, so you kind of accommodate them, and you accommodate them. And I'm being physical about this. And you accommodate them, and you and now you're back against the wall because you've been so accommodating. And then you snap and you go, I can't believe it! What is it about you guys? And you're kind of like, whoa, gosh, He I mean, just lost this sanctification. Well, that's because you put up with and put up with and accommodated, accommodate. accommodate and we're flexible way beyond what you should have been. You gave up principles, you gave up time and energy, and then you blast it. People do it as parents, people do it as leaders. And that's when love and power are not integrated. It's when you try to be loving and caring and patient to a fault and then you blow up because you feel so helpless and, and angry. So, John, is that just because you're passive and because you don't want to, you're afraid of her? Conflict avoidant and, right, okay, and then you okay, blow up. Okay, and. The way you have to work that, if you have that tendency to put up with, put up with, put up and then sort of like blow up and, God, where did that come from, what it means is you've got to have early power. You've got to come in earlier and to train yourself with an early warning system so when somebody says, can you do it this way, I don't want to do this way, stop. Before it gets to this point, you're against the wall and say, can we talk about that? You've got to come on the misdemeanor level because before it goes to a felony. You've got to train yourself to be a... And, I'm not sure I want to do that. Have the conversations earlier, push back earlier, impose yourself earlier. Don't wait till you're frustrated. That keeps your power and your love connected. And the third is the idea of power versus other control. See, power is not control, power is influence. You've got to get that straight is that I can't make my employees do anything. You can't make your employees or your kids or anybody in your life do anything you can influence them and kind of get the idea that I'm going to whip them into shape, I'm going to get them straight. They've got choices to make. When you're dealing with adults especially, the best thing you can do is to realize I'm going to use all my power to have them see other things. I will influence by my modeling, you know, by how I act. and I'm the, I act like I tell people to act, right? I'm going to influence people by my clarity. Here's where I want to go. Here's the vision. Here's, I mean, I've got to be clear in my words. Leaders influenced by their words and how clear they are. I've got to influence by my passion. This is a big deal to me. This is important to me. Where we want to go, this strategic objective is it's going to help everybody. It's going to help your lives. I want to influence people by vulnerability, and listening. Remember, leaders are poor listeners. You're always having to work harder than most people because we don't listen well. We have truth, we have numbness of wisdom, we have advice, but we've got to also increase the skill set of vulnerability and listening. And also, we have the power structure. You know, I've got a plan, I've got a path and also the power of consequences. And there are sometimes when we have to say, you know, I've done everything else. I've modeled it for you. I was clear about it. I have a lot of passion for this. I really get you. I understand you. Here's the path. Nothing else is working. This is how God leads. He does all this stuff, and then He finally says, I guess this isn't working. We've got to go to God's system of discipline. You need all of these sources of power. These are all like toolkits for you make sure you're using with your people because that's how people get motivated okay some of your skills I, I, I want to do something really practical here so that you could this month um, feel I want you to kind of feel that adrenaline surge a bit A, put your opinions into relationship um, have you ever talked to somebody who kept their cards up and didn't tell you how they felt about I don't know politics or sports or money or marriage, they didn't tell you how they felt until you showed them your cards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're kinda of like, a, they wait. How did you feel toward that person when you, they really wouldn't tell you how they felt until you put your card down? I have a certain feeling I have for people like that. Guarded? I feel very guarded. I don't trust them. Because I feel like they're, gonna, they're gaming me. Like they're kinda of strategizing and positioning with me to find out what They think that I need to hear, am I saying that right, what they think I need? Yes, what they think. And that doesn't make for good, powerful relationships. If you want to learn power, when you're having lunch with somebody, put an opinion out before you find out what they think. Whether you're Republican or Democrat or Independent, whatever your belief is, what you think about the company or what you think about uh, strategic opinions just say, this is what I've been thinking. This is where I stand. And what you'll find out is some people will kind of push against you, but that's okay. You won't learn power until this is part of that differentiation we all talk about. But put your opinion out first. Don't don't hold your cards. And and in relationships, do the same thing. Talk about what you like and don't like in your marriage. What you don't, don't what you don't like and do like and don't like with your children, with your friends, in relationship. Put your cards down first. Don't game it. John, ask a question at this point. Uh, I'm the guy who holds the cards, so why do I do that? I wait for you to tell me your opinion before I'm going to put them on the table. I'm reluctant to do that. Yeah, most of the time because there's some risk involved. You might reject me, not like me, judge me. So if I listen to i and I go, let me find out what Mike thinks about money or politics or whatever, then I can tailor my response to something. I'm not going to lie to Mike, but I'll, I'll game it a bit. Yeah. It's, a, it's a way to feel pretty much safe in the relationship. Yeah. I think it's uh, sometimes hard when you want... I'm you know, thinking about Vern's position as a pastor. You really want the congregation to have it be their church. Mm-hmm. So what direction do you want to go? Mm-hmm. Vern has an opinion, but he doesn't really want to share that up front same in our in our business sometimes I don't want to share an opinion until I know what theirs is um, I remember our pastor asking multiple times where do you want to go with this mission what how do you want to really grow our church to very getting very little feedback and he, he preached from the